0: are in a series of teachings on the book of Acts. Book of Acts is the story of the early Jesus movement, and really it's an account of how this um, rural Galilean um, Jewish Messianic movement moved to the center of the Roman Empire, Rome itself, spread out to the Gentile world, uh, where all throughout the Mediterranean world people were declaring uh, Jesus to be be Lord uh, and King. Um, and we're calling the series Praxis. And today we're picking up, um, we're going to be in Acts 24 22. So if you want to uh, flip in your Bible and kind of put a finger there, um, you can head there now. Acts is way to the right in your Bible. It's after John and before Romans. Uh, but before, uh, so Acts 24 is where we're going to be starting today. But I want to give some context for how we got there first. So last week... Uh, We were, I think we were in chapter 20, 21, somewhere around there, last week, and we were with Paul, this leader in the early Jesus movement, and he was on his way to Jerusalem, and he said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm compelled by Jesus to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what's going to happen to me there, I just know I have to go there, I need to share about Jesus in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem at this time, it's around the year 56 AD, Jerusalem is dangerous, Particularly for people who, like Paul, had this outreach ministry to Gentiles to non-Jews, there was this deep ethnic tension in Jerusalem in the mid fifties A.D. There was a in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, There's this group of uh, of kind of this this group of rebels called Sakari. And uh, the Sicarii were against any of their countrymen who, who collaborated with, who aligned themselves with the Gentiles, the Romans in the land. And the, the Sicarii were known to carry out murders in broad daylight in the temple. In fact, during this time, one of the high priests was murdered during the day in the temple at the center of Jerusalem for collaborating with the Gentiles. That's kind of the, the atmosphere, the boiling pot that Jerusalem is. And Paul says, I, I have to go, I have to go to Jerusalem. I got to tell people about Jesus. And and remember, Paul, he is reaching out to the Gentiles. And so all his friends are like, this is going to be dangerous. This is going to be dangerous. Well, he gets there. He gets to Jerusalem. And there are, some, there are some Jews from the province of Asia. Not Asia as we think of it today. The province of Asia is what we would call western Turkey today. It's where Ephesus was. And some of these Jews from the province of Asia recognize Paul. And so about a week after he arrived, Paul's up in the temple area. And these Jews recognize him. And they say, this guy... This guy, he is not sticking to the traditions of our ancestors. He's going around telling Gentiles they can be part of our people. That now Jews and Gentiles make one people under Messiah Jesus. And, and they start a riot in the temple. So says the riot got to such a point where, um, where the Roman soldiers there in the Antonio Fortress looking down on the temple. They have to rush in and they have to carry Paul out of the mob so he doesn't get torn apart. And so they're carrying him out, and, and there's this brilliant scene. They're going up to the steps into the Roman fortress. And Paul, it's, it's brilliant. He, he kind of puts the whole thing on pause. He gets the attention of the Roman soldiers, gets the attention of the, uh, uh, of the mob, and he kind of takes command of the whole situation, takes a moment to share about how he encountered Jesus and how Jesus changed his life and forgave him and how Jesus commissioned him to go and announce this good news to the Gentiles which only inflamed the mob further. And they just they fired him up and the soldier's were like, get him out of here. And uh, the, soldier, the Roman commander is like, "I don't know what to do with you. He spends the night in prison. The next day, the Roman commander is like, i got to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to take you to the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin. So he takes Paul to the Sanhedrin. And uh, so it's like kind of all the religious leaders and, and really, in a sense, political leaders in Jerusalem. He takes Paul there, and Paul begins sharing his story with these leaders, and a second riot breaks out. Two riots in two days. So And they're like, ah, and again, the soldiers have to extract him. They're like, they're going to tear Paul apart. And can you, I mean... If you're Paul, what are you thinking at this point? You're just, riots are breaking every time where you go. Or, and if you're the Roman commander, what are you thinking? What is wrong with this guy? Why does everybody want, why does why did a riot break out wherever he goes? So uh, what happens is Paul's in prison. The night of the second riot, he's in prison. You know, what is going to happen to me? Where is this going to go? And, he, and, and Jesus appears to him. And Jesus says, he says, take courage, Paul. Take courage. Just as you have shared about me in Jerusalem, so too are you going to share about me in Rome. Just as you have done in Jerusalem, so too are you going to do in Rome. You are going to be my vessel, my vehicle. I'm sending you in this mission to Rome to share, uh, share your story of how you met me. So Paul now suddenly where before he was like I don't know what's gonna happen now Paul has a mission get to Rome and tell people about Jesus there he's got I have to survive to Rome I have to get to Rome this is where I'm going and so Paul he's got this new I gotta get to Rome I gotta tell people about Jesus there oh well, meanwhile there are these forty men who take an oath that they will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. ...which I've always kind of thought is a strange oath to take. Why not, why not just say you're going to work really hard until you... Like, what's with the not eating and drinking? Like, we're going to kill them, and we're going to be hungry and thirsty when we do it. I don't know. I don't, I've never understood that. But, um, so they, they take this oath. Well, there's this, there's this kind of serendipity where uh, Paul's nephew hears about it. Paul's nephew hears about it and comes to Paul. Paul, hey, these 40 guys are plotting this against you. And Paul says, okay... I need you to take this. Don't talk to anybody else. Go to the Roman commander Lysias and tell him. So the nephew goes, finds the commander. This is what I overheard. These forty guys are going to try and they're going to try and set this up and kill Paul. And so, so the Roman commander says, "I have to get Paul out of here," and he arranges, he arranges. Um, how many is it? It's like two hundred. See if I can find it. Two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen. At 9 o'clock at night, 470 soldiers at 9 p.m. at night, and they make this night march out of Jerusalem all the way to the coastal city of Caesarea. I mean, that, if that doesn't tell you something about how Rome views problems, 470 soldiers to get Paul out of this kind of like, there's an ant, here's a sledgehammer. <laughs> and, uh, and so they get, you know, they, they do this night march to get Paul, this one guy that's causing riots everywhere, to get him down to Caesarea. This is still, like Paul's been in town for 10 days or something. This is all happening. So he gets down to Caesarea and the the Jews, they've lost their chance to get him killed but they still have some legal chances to get get him in trouble and so they get the best lawyer they can find tertullus and tertullus and kind of the high priest is the highest political office they go down and there's this law and order court scene where tertullus is makes this speech before the roman governor felix and he's going to get paul convicted and paul kind of by himself no one to defend him has to defend himself and it's kind of what's going and there's this question hanging over the what's gonna happen What's going to happen? Will they finally capture him? Will they convict him? Or will Paul find a way out of this and make his way to Rome, the, w- the, the very thing Jesus has called him to? And this is where we pick up. It's at the end of the court scene, the end of the trial scene. Tertullus has made his speech. Paul's made his speech. The Roman governor, Felix, is about to render his verdict. And this is what happens. Acts 24, starting in 22. Then Felix, governor, he's kind of the judge in this case, who was well acquainted with the way, and that is the name of the Jesus movement at the time, he adjourned the proceedings. And he said, when Lysias, the commander, comes, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed... Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. When two years had passed, two years, I mean, can you even imagine? I mean, it's, it's, it's like this, this, you know, in Paul's life, it's nonstop action. He goes, to, he goes to Jerusalem. There's one riot. The next day, there's another riot. Then a night march to Caesarea. This trial scene. What's going to happen? Is he going to survive? Is he going to make it to Rome? And then all of a sudden, F- Governor Felix is like, Yeah, I don't feel like dealing with this. So I just go sit in prison for a while. It's just the whole thing just puts the whole thing on pause. Paul, he's got, this, he's got this mission. I have to get to Rome. I have to share about Jesus in Rome. I have to survive. These people are trying to get me. And he, and he runs into Governor Felix, and, and the Governor Felix is like, you know what, instead, just, why don't you just wait in prison for a couple years? Just pause, stop, time out, penalty box. Have you, have you ever felt like someone or something just pressed a pause button on the movie of your life? Just pause. Two years waiting. Paul was in this, this place called Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the sea. Uh, th- we have a map of it here. Um, it's, out, it's where the red pin is out on the coast uh, there. It would have been to the northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, here's a picture that that kind of spit of land down in the front that would have been a palace that Herod the Great built that the Roman governors would have stayed in. That's probably where Paul's uh, trial scene took place. You can see out on that spit. There's a rectangle. That's where they had a freshwater swimming pool so they could swim if they didn't want to get salty. This is the Roman governor and Paul was there for two years. He probably got. I mean, it was probably got ragged and hairy looking. And so I got I got a picture of um, that's me and Christy there a couple years ago. But that, at that same, it's at the same place, just facing a different direction. Okay, we can go back to that. that um, so Paul, he's there. I thought it looked okay at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul's there. And uh, the Caesarea by the sea, is a fascinating story about how there was no major deep water port in Judea and how Herod the Great, built one out of nothing. He sunk this concrete out into the ocean. But in Paul's day, this would have been one of the, the major ports in the eastern Mediterranean. So one of the most, so there's shipping activity constantly. And there would have been shipping activity to and from Rome all the time. So those two years, Paul is there two years, and he knows ah, I need to go to Rome. I've been called by Jesus to go to Rome and share the story. Every, every day of that waiting there would have been ships coming from Rome And going to Rome. Another day. There goes another ship. There goes another ship to Rome. There goes another ship I could be on. And Paul is just on pause. Waiting. Have you ever felt like somebody pressed pause on the movie of your life? You're just waiting. Or even this morning, are, what, what are there aspects of your life this morning? Are there aspects of your life that you feel like are on pause? Or you're waiting? What are you waiting for? We have all different kinds of waits, don't we? There's some waiting that is just inherently painful. You're sick. You can't figure out what it is. It's just taking time to get better. It just hurts. It's just inherently painful waiting. There's some waiting that is you're waiting for a good thing. You're waiting for something exciting. You're waiting to graduate. You're waiting for for, uh, the baby to arrive. You're waiting uh, for your wedding day. There's some waiting that has this inherent um, um, sad event at the end of it. Waiting with a loved one at hospice at the end of their life. There's a lot of waiting that is inherently uncertain. Hoping, waiting for a new job. Waiting for what the diagnosis will be. What in your life? When you think about your what aspect of your life this morning? Do you feel like you are simply waiting? It's on pause. When, uh, when Chrissy and I were waiting uh, for the birth of our first child, our, our now eldest daughter, uh, one of us, I'm not going to name names, was a little more emotionally prepared for parenthood and uh, was, ha- was more actively engaged in the waiting. One of us needed a little more mental kind of transition time to get into this idea of parenthood. And uh, and so we're may- maybe it's six months into the pregnancy, and uh, and one day um, I I decide uh, to go drop out uh, drop by the REI garage sale, so I go by the REI garage sale, and I'm not looking for anything in particular, just kind of you know just looking around, and um, I come across this, which uh, is this, basically the Cadillac of. Child backpack carriers. If you're familiar with child backpack carrier, you should come check this out. earlier. Really. I mean, it basically has rocket boosters that makes it easier to carry the, the children in. Um, so I find this thing, and it's on, you know, it's whatever, like thirty cents or whatever it is at the garage sale, and um, and uh, um, and so I, you know, I, I, br- I buy it, I bring it home, and um, you know, Christy, this is what I found uh, at the, the garage sale, and basically, um, she just starts crying. Uh, which I, at the time it didn't take a lot to make her cry—the hormones and all that kind of thing—but uh, uh, it, it wasn't because she was always wanted a backpacking child carrier. That is not why she was crying. Um, she what it said? Uh, it said um, that I was I'm with her in the wait. That I am I'm, I'm waiting with you. I'm actively. I'm waiting with you. And um, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make the baby arrive sooner, couldn't speed it up, but I could I could actively wait with her. Be with her in the wait. I believe that Paul, as he was waiting in Caesarea, uh, that Paul knew um, that God was actively with him in the wait. I believe Paul knew that, that, that while he waited, that Paul, was, that, that Paul knew God was doing something. Even as he was waiting, God was up to something in Paul's life. That in that waiting time, I believe Paul knew that God was preparing him for what was to come. See, Paul, Paul was saturated in the stories of his spiritual uh, ancestors and the, the biblical story of Scripture. And Paul understood that throughout God's interactions with his people, that oftentimes when someone's literal journey got put on pause, God did some of the most important work in that person's spiritual journey. Paul understood that that oftentimes it was these moments of pause, these desert moments, these in-between moments, these moments where things felt stopped, that God did some of his deepest, transformational work in people's lives. Paul knew, Paul knew the stories, Paul knew Moses. Paul knew that that Moses, that God called Moses to release his people, to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. But before that, Moses spent years and years and years waiting in the desert as a shepherd. And in that time, God revealed himself to Moses as the one who hears the cry of his people. Paul knew knew the Israelites, God's people, that when God led them out of slavery in Egypt with Moses, that that God rescued them from slavery and was taking them to the promised land. But there's this 40 years in between time, this waiting period in the desert. When God shaped them, God revealed himself to them as the one who makes a covenant with his people. Paul knew David, Paul knew that, that, that God called David to be king of his people, but before David, between David finding out he would be king and actually becoming king, there was these years and years and years spent on the run in the wilderness. And during that time, God revealed himself to David as the rock in times of trouble. Paul knew the psalms, the, the prayer songs of his people. And Paul, Paul would have prayed the prayer songs. And through the prayer songs, these psalms, like a drumbeat was the phrase, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Paul knew Jesus. Paul knew that Jesus, when, when Jesus was commissioned for his ministry, uh, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, before he actually started doing anything, the first thing he did was spent 40 days waiting in the desert, being reminded that he was the Son of God. Paul knew the teachings of Jesus, that Jesus talked about his kingdom. And when Jesus described his kingdom, he used, he used pictures like the kingdom is like, it's like a seed in the earth. The kingdom is like yeast in dough. Images that evoke darkness and stillness and quiet and waiting. Paul knew and meditated on the crucifixion of Jesus. And Paul knew between the crucifixion, when Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself, and the resurrection, when Jesus defeated death itself, there was this, between that Friday and that Sunday, there was this holy Saturday when the world was on pause, being prepared for what was to come. Paul knew, Paul knew that oftentimes, with his people, Paul knew that that, that God with his people, when, when their lives, when different parts of their lives got put on pause, their spiritual journey continued. That, that oftentimes in that desert place, that pause place, that stopped moment, that liminal space, that, that God did some of his most important transformational work in people's lives. That God was with his people there, forming and shaping them. We don't like waiting, though, do we? We don't like being present in those moments of waiting. I don't. Maybe, maybe some of you are just fans of waiting. I don't know. How many, uh, are there Google Chrome users in here? I know this is a change of topic. But uh, how many know recognize this image? The following pages have become unresponsive. You can wait for them to become responsive or kill them. <laughs> How many of you, let's be honest, most of the time when given the choice, who chooses wait? Who chooses kill? Oh, yeah, every time, like, I'm done with you. And it's so satisfying. I, isn't it? I sent, Carlo did the slides this week. I sent him this. And he's like, Tim, the slide, I don't know, somehow the link's broken. It says when pages become unresponsive. No, Carlo, that is the slide. That is the, yeah. We don't like waiting. There was a Houston airport a number of years ago. They had um, they got they were getting all these complaints about baggage claim and you know the wait's too long the wait's too long the wait's too long so they're like okay we're gonna buy a, we're gonna hire a bunch of new baggage claim workers put them in there and they get their wait time cut down cut down to eight minutes as well within what's normal there and still complaints didn't stop you know the wait too long wait too long wait too long okay what's going on so they go they're kind of checking things out and what it is is the gate is right by baggage claim and so people get off the plane they walk for one minute and they get to baggage claim and they have to wait for seven minutes and they're complaining wait too long wait too long the, the so the Houston executives say i know what we're gonna we're not gonna hire any more baggage claim workers this is what we're gonna do we're gonna move the gates to this end of the airport we're gonna move the baggage claim to this end of the airport they're gonna work six times as far complaints drop to zero (laughs) they're the people you know i mean essentially people are yeah we would rather do pointless walking and feel like we're doing something than have to wait for seven minutes and I mean it, you know, baggage claim, it's harmless, right? But what is harmless with baggage claim, I believe, could be quite detrimental in our spiritual journey. That we would prefer that we would prefer pointless activity to distract us over being present in the weight, I believe can have spiritual consequences. And if it's true that God is present in the wait. And that God is desiring to do some of his most important work in our lives in the wait. Simply busying ourselves up. Is not going to be helpful with that. I I think Jesus wants to rescue us from this temptation to distract to busy ourselves up to numb ourselves to just try and take care of that anxious feeling by distracting ourselves I think Jesus wants to rescue us from that that we could be present to how God is how God, that we could be present and aware of how God is with us in the way and what God is desiring to do in our hearts and our souls how he's desiring to shape us and prepare us for what is to come I think it, it, Jesus wants to say hey the bags are going to get there. That in the most ultimate sense, I have defeated sin, death, and Satan. That the, in the ultimate sense, the bags are going to get there. I want you to be present. I think God is saying, "I am with you. I'm with you in the wait." And there's some things I want to do in your heart. There's some ways I want to prepare you for what is to come right now. Would you be with me too? I don't, know, I don't know your particular wait this morning. I know in our, in our community, I know some of us are, are waiting for the birth of children. Some of, some of, us, are waiting, some of us are engaged and waiting for wedding day. I know some of us are in jobs we don't love, and we're waiting when God's going to lead us out of that job into a new job. I know some of us have loved ones who are very ill, and we believe it might end in death, and we are waiting with them. I don't, I don't know your particular... I know we have weights in our life. And I believe that as you wait, that you, if you're anything like me, anything like those people in Houston, that you're going to be tempted to distract yourself, to busy yourself, to numb yourself, to just to do anything other than to be present in the weight. And I believe that God is inviting you... God is inviting you to, to see how he's with you in the way, to join in with that line of people, Moses and David and Jesus and Paul, who were present to God in the way, who, and, God, and God prepared them in the way, formed them for what is to come. I believe in your way, God is desiring to say to you that I'm with you, and I can do some of my most transformative work here and now. want to just offer a couple questions for us to reflect on this week and just to yeah just to think about these would be the two questions one would be how have you seen God showing up to be with you in your weight in that, that aspect of your life where you're waiting have you seen God showing up how have you seen the kingdom the kingdom seeds breaking forth how's God said hey I'm with you in this in your wait.'" And then two, the second question, how is God desiring to form you in this time of waiting? What, God, what might God be desiring to do in your life? In that way, how might God be be wanting to prepare your heart for motherhood or fatherhood how might God be wanting to as you wait for your wedding to to, to 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 join you two together how God how might God be as you wait for that other job might be wanting to prepare you right now so when your influence increases that you carry it out in a way that honors him how might God as, as you as you wait with your grandfather or grandmother your Your mom or dad, as you wait with them in their illness, how might God be bringing his kingdom forth like a seed out of the earth, like yeast and dough? I believe Jesus wants to rescue me. I believe Jesus wants to rescue all of us from this, this temptation to distract and get busy. I believe Jesus wants to say to us, hey, I'm with you and I'm doing something important in you. I believe he wants to invite us into that. May we be a community that doesn't miss what he's up to. Would you pray with me? Abba, um, Abba I'm just reminded. Of, Abba, I'm reminded of how you wait on us. That you know what it is to wait. Uh, I picture... Um, the, the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son and Abba, how you 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 you, you um, keep your eyes on the horizon, waiting for us to come home, expectantly looking for us. Abba, thank you that you wait on us. Abba, thank you that even as we struggle with our weights, um, that you're with us. You're even waiting for us to turn and pay attention to you. We thank you for that. And so, in all of our weights, Spirit, would you uh, would you call our names would you lead us would you guide us would you help us see spirit how you're with us and what um, what you're designed to do in us in this time I pray this all in Jesus good name amen